Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by Cars.com, Valvoline, and Goodyear. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, John Davis. Welcome, everyone, to our MotorWeek podcast number six. And I'm joined today by Dave Durso. Hello there. And Brian Robinson. Hello. And Ben Davis. Hello. All from our MotorWeek staff. And so over the next 15 or 20 minutes, we're going to get into some of the uh, latest vehicles that we've been testing here at MotorWeek. And Dave, I'm going to start with you. The 2009 Ford Mustang glass roof, kind of the last hurrah for the current Mustang. What'd yeah, but think? a pretty interesting one because basically they've given a, a full-length glass panel on the roof of the Mustang. It's a it's an option that's available on pretty much any Mustang you can buy. So you can get your V6 model, you've got a V8 GT, you can get that. And uh, it's it's pretty interesting. It's um, it's a two thousand dollar option, and uh, it's basically I mean it's, it's sort of the ultimate uh, the ultimate open air without the actually actual air part. So this yeah. is a, a an option that up to now we've seen on uh, Porsches, Ferraris, but not really on a mass produced vehicle, a, especially not a mass produced American vehicle. So it gives it a li- very different look. I mean, it does give. I mean, it's still. It's still a Mustang, I mean, without a doubt, but it gives a little bit of more of a European flair to the roof line. Now, everybody's going to say, well, what about when the sun shines? I mean, there is some kind of a shade, right? Oh, yeah. Yes, there is. There's retractable shade. And you can, so you've you're got full, full sun protection. And I remember looking at the Ford literature, they said something like um, the tint on the glass cuts, I guess, air conditioning need by about 25%. Of course, they don't say to what, but I'm assuming to an untinted glass roof. Yes. What about rigidity? Did you notice? anything any change there you know when you when you look at it you think this thing's going to be like a like a convertible it's going to be um there's going to be some twist and all but once you actually get in it and drive it it, it's it's not there i mean it's it's a solid car it feels like the coupe it really does without you're not getting any kind of serious flex of any sort i mean it, it feels like a coupe it handles like the coupe I mean, so it's they they did their engineering homework on this one. What about the 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 current Mustang, the outgoing 09, um, as far as the rest of the car? Is, is it you know we hear people saying, hey, it's getting a little dated on the interior and all. What was your impression as far as the rest of the car? Um, no, I see. I don't I don't subscribe to the idea that it's all getting all that dated, considering it's a retro design to begin with. So I mean, I I'm. I'm pretty. I really pretty much like it the way it is. I don't think it's really getting that far out now. Obviously, there's going to be some updates for the 2010 model, and they are they are changing things. But um, like I said, I'm I'm pretty comfortable with the way it looks. It's a it's still one of the best looking cars you know out there as far as being a head turning coupe that you know certainly doesn't cost a, a king's ransom. And I got my impression of the glass roof was a pretty nice uh, nifty new option. Yeah, it's it's a fun idea, and I think a lot of people are going to like it. And it's you know it's simpler than a, a regular uh, um, moonroof. You've got you're certainly more watertight too. Absolutely, you're not losing headroom like you would with any kind of uh, moonroof mechanisms. So some people like that. So it's a it's a nice kind of a uh, nice compromise for people that want a little sunshine but don't necessarily want oh, anything else that goes with the uh, with the regular designs or does you know or don't want to make the the jump which is even more expensive to a full convertible and then you have body flex problems and all You've that. You've got all of that, and this this avoids everything. And, there was, a, in some of the Ford literature, I noticed it, as a rationale for doing this, they said that uh, two-thirds of all sporty car buyers want some kind of an open-air experience, you know, convertible, moon, sunroof, something. So, This gives you, this gives you pretty much like 90% of that. 
Okay, let's move on now to kind of a new age vehicle. Brian Robinson, you have uh, come back from Germany after having driven the first of the new clean diesels from BMW. So kind of give us an update. Yeah, that's right. 335D uh, will be the first 50-state legal BMW diesel. It's a three-liter inline six, 265 horse. It's a little bit less than the 335i, obviously, but uh, it's a lot torquier, six-speed automatic. It does have the blue performance technology similar to Mercedes. Which means that you've got to put the fluid, the urea fluid in it. Right. Supposedly, that lasts uh, 15,000 miles between service intervals, so you shouldn't have to touch it. But I think it is becoming more and more available in the market. So, yeah, My understanding of that fluid, you can actually buy it at most auto parts, chain yeah. auto parts stores now. Uh, fuel economy is 23.36, and uh, that puts it... Uh, over a 500 mile range, which to me that's what I like about it is longer range. You know, I hate stopping at the gas station uh, and going long trips. Uh, price premium, um, depending on how it's configured, it's going to be about two grand more than a 335i. So two thousand dollars more for 30 percent better fuel economy. Then you've got to factor in the fact that fuel costs, diesel costs more. So. It may be almost a wash as far as how much money you spend, but that's not the only reason for looking at it, is it? Yeah, like I said, the uh, the range is a big benefit for people. Also, uh, they mentioned that it's cheaper to develop, and then also the price premium is cheaper than a hybrid. So they, you know, I'm not sure that mm-hmm. if that means anything to uh, many people, but it's definitely a smooth, smooth running diesel, typical uh, European diesel, and it's like new generation as far as that's concerned. Most people. Probably would never even know it's a diesel. It doesn't make a lot of noise. No, there's a little bit at startup, but uh, you know, inside the car, you know, there's no indication at all. It's a and diesel. if you looked at the exhaust pipe, you barely would know it was a diesel. Correct. Yeah, most if you haven't experienced uh, a new clean diesel, especially one of the new uh, European clean diesels. Um, they're very quiet. They're extremely torquey, and that is, after all, the real measure of um, uh, initial acceleration. And the tailpipes are, are look as clean as uh, a gasoline power car. As a matter of fact, the new clean diesels are statistically as clean as a gasoline power car. That's the whole point. The big problem is going to be the price. You know, looking at mid forties. So yeah, a lot of people are wondering why they're not bringing out. You know, they have a lot smaller diesel engines in the three series. Uh, why they aren't bringing those here, but it just they won't meet emissions. They just can't do it. And also, I mean, the BMW does have a certain um, reputation to uphold as far as performance. I mean, the 3 Series is a very popular sedan, their most popular model. They don't want to bring out uh, a dog, essentially, and because and they've basically, when they were doing some of their four-cylinder cars, that was the big problem, is they just didn't live up to that BMW image. But, you know, 36 miles per gallon, that's about a 30% improvement over what you know, a typical uh, gas-powered 3 and, Series. You know, it drives like a typical 3 Series. I mean, it's fun to drive. Yeah. Would you buy one over a gas-powered? If, if the money wasn't a factor? I would certainly consider it. I don't know that I, that I would pull the trigger or not, but just based on the price alone. Um, but if you've got the money, you know, if money wasn't an option, I would certainly, I would certainly buy it. Mm. Okay, let's move on now to our third car. And Ben Davis, uh, Infiniti G37X. This is not an, a, an absolutely new car, but it is a new addition to a very good car. That's for sure. <clears throat> I've been a, a G-Coupe fan for quite a while. And um, if anything could be improved, here you go, all-wheel drive. Now, uh, I was going through the cone course, 
And it's always been fun with the two-wheel drive, um, trying to get a little uh, oversteer here and there. But with this all-wheel drive system, you can just go for it and uh, put all your talent outside of the door because you don't need it anymore. You can go in late, come out of turns early, just pour on the power, and the thing is completely forgiving. It just makes you, uh, makes you feel like a pro. Now, historically, when you take um, any kind of a front or rear-wheel drive car, and this is inherently a rear-drive car to start with, and you add all-wheel drive, you usually induce some uh, unfavorable characteristics, like a little bit of understeer push. Was that a, Did you notice it? I didn't notice it at all, no. Um, this system favors the rear 100% until uh, you need front wheel, and then it's uh, then it'll throw power towards the front up to 50%. So you don't get any kind of um, low-speed parking lot grind or anything like that that you normally find in all-wheel drive cars. Now, we picked the G37 Coupe last uh, in 2008 as our driver's choice best uh, sport coupe of the year. So this looks like just uh, another reason to consider that car it just keeps getting better yeah they uh the g series both sedan and coupe has been uh, remarkable in how it has come up to give a lot of competition to the three series bmw and and only two generations and i understand the uh the larger engine is now going to be in the sedan as well that's true yeah a little less horsepower than the coupe but nevertheless it is there seven speed automatic in the in the coupe too you can't go for the six speed manual did but, you? Uh, yeah, well, that's, with, that's with the all-wheel drive. With anyway. the all-wheel drive, you know that's that raises an interesting question. There's a lot of debate in our journalistic community about how many gears are too many gears. You know, there. I know that some magazines have even think six is too many. I think we kind of like six because it gives you a lot of flexibility and you get better fuel economy, et cetera, et cetera. What's your impression? Five, six, or seven? Did the seven gears make that much difference? I was a little leery going into a seven-speed automatic, um, thinking that uh, it was too many gears. But it it shifts real fast, real smooth, and it, you're never hunting for a gear. It's it, I mean, it's they really did their homework on this one. Um, so as far as Infinity's seven-speed automatic is concerned, I say. Give me eight or nine, as long as they're designing it. Well, the whole idea behind these um, uh, six, seven uh, speed automatics was to get you out of the low gears, which are the most inefficient and pollute the most, and get you in the higher gears quicker as possible. It all depends on how they're configured, too. You've driven somewhere, you know, in a super hurry to get you up into a high gear, and it almost seems to work opposite the way it should work. But some of them, if they're you know configured nice, you know they're it's an automatic anyway. You're not shifting. It doesn't really matter how many are there. As long as it's smooth. Yeah. I, I think, think the IS, Lexus ISF has got eight. Yeah, there there's a lot of um, you know Honda has been a, a company that has not embraced even the six speed. And for a company known for their technology and for their fuel economy, that's kind of interesting because they seem to be trailing in transmission technology. Where everybody, I mean, nowadays, if you don't see a six-speed automatic in a car, you think it's old-fashioned. Yeah, it's almost cheating just slapping another gear on there. Yeah, it's not a big... Honda's always been a conservative company, though, and they, uh, they, they managed to get the most out of, out of very little. I mean, they, they're, they're people who write their software and all. They really know what they're doing, and they do seem to... Uh, always pull it off even if they if it looks like they're a little behind the curve there yeah but I, that concerns me because being looking a little behind the curve is what happened to the domestic automakers for so long when it didn't look like they had the technology to keep up and so a lot of it is in appearances uh, but you know it does have an effect on the marketplace 
Well, I want to thank everybody for joining us for our Motor Week podcast number six. I want to thank our audio engineer, Jim Bigwood, for making sure we come through loud and clear. Our podcast creator, Bob Mixter, and our producer, Michelle Parker, who gets us all in here on time and puts everything together. Thanks to Dave Durso, Brian Robinson, and Ben Davis. I'm John Davis, and we'll listen here for the next Motor Week podcast. You have been listening to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by Cars.com, Valvoline, and Goodyear. For additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our website at MotorWeek.org. And watch MotorWeek, television's longest-running automotive magazine series, each week on your local PBS station.